Welcome to Questions That Matter, a podcast of the C.S. Lewis Institute. I'm your host, Randy Newman. Today, I have the privilege of a good conversation with my friend, Elise Boros. But we're going to be talking about a difficult topic, the topic of suffering and grief. And I'm very sorry to say that this is a topic that Elise is quite familiar with. But Elise, welcome to Questions That Matter. Thanks, Randy. Thanks for having me. Great. Yes, great to, great to see you again. I should fill in our listeners. Elise and I have been friends for uh, quite a long time. Uh, my wife, Pam, and I have been close to Elise uh, for uh, well over a decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elise is from State College, Pennsylvania. I think I got that right. Did I? Yep. And uh, joined the staff of Campus Crusade, now called Crew, after graduating. And she and her husband, Greg, moved down to Fairfax, Virginia, and were part of, we were part of the same staff team. Um, Greg had a, a heart condition that was very unusual and very, very just weird and uh, caused him a great deal of, of uh, terrible trial at the end of his college experience. But then they thought that it was under control and thought he was uh, okay. And uh, Greg and I just hit it off the minute we met each other. We, we met on campus very early on when he was new in the area, and we met for coffee. And I knew this was going to be just the fun, great friendship because we talked about coffee for 20 minutes and different places on campus to get coffee and which ones are the best ones and which ones have the best cups. I mean, and at one point, we just looked at each other like, we could both talk about coffee as long as, as we want to. and. Um, but very quickly, we moved on to bigger things like faith and God and found a great love of C.S. Lewis in common. We would quote Lewis quotes back and forth to each other, and it was wonderful. But uh, sadly, tragically, the heart problems came back and uh, got worse and worse. Eventually, Greg needed a heart transplant and got a heart transplant when he was 25 years old. It's got to be one of the youngest people ever to have that. And God gave him 10 more years of great ministry and great life. God bless Greg and Elise with a beautiful boy, Paul. And, but um, heart transplants don't always go the way we want them to go. And a few years ago, Greg went to go be with the Lord. And um, Elise has been writing and blogging about grief and suffering. And in addition to being a really good friend, I have become a big fan of her writing. We'll put uh, links in the show notes. She writes a regular blog called Waiting for True Life. She writes for a uh, widow's ministry. It's a blog called Songs in the Night. She blogs uh, occasionally for Family Life Today. And uh, Lord willing, this is going to culminate in a book sometime, who knows when, um, about the issues and challenges of suffering. Um, So uh, Elise, tell us, let's start with um, why did you choose to call the blog Waiting for True Life? Um, when When I first started writing on the blog and was putting together some of the writing that I'd already done beforehand, I was just thinking about how, you know, for at least a year or really for 11 months, but longer than that, um, Greg and I had been waiting for his heart transplant 
And when you're waiting for a heart transplant, you are dying and you are waiting for a chance to live. Like you are waiting for an extra opportunity to have life. And at the end of Greg's journey, waiting for his heart, kind of everything had fallen apart and he was living in the hospital and our life had ground to a halt. And, um, and, you know, finally he got that second chance, but I think in the 10 years after that, like we realized that we hadn't just been waiting for a second chance at life here, that a lot of the things we wanted out of life, a lot of the things that our hearts and our souls are really longing for, were never going to be met on this side of eternity. And as suffering continued and it was very much tied to Greg's heart, but there were other elements as well. Over time, I think our longing went more from life being okay here because we realized it probably never was going to be, and it shifted really to, okay, well, someday we're going to be with the Lord, and all the sad things are going to come untrue. That was one of my husband's favorite things to say, and so I, I chose the name Waiting for True Life because we spent so much time waiting for this life and then realized that no, there's a truer, there's a better life to come. And I'm still mm. waiting for it. Greg's there now. Mm. Um, and I, and all those longings that were in his heart, like he was finally made well and whole. But on this side of eternity, like we will always be waiting for a fuller, deeper life, the life that we were really made for. So that's what the, um, that's where the name came from. Yes. And the Romans 8 theme of all of creation groans and we groan. And, and yet because of the confident hope that we have, uh, it brings a, a hope and a substance to the waiting. It's not just waiting. It is, right. it, there is a confident waiting. And that, that's, that's, those are the themes I pick up in your blogs. That's mm -hmm. uh, those were the themes we talked about that we wanted to be um, what people heard at uh, Greg's funeral: honest right. lament and yeah. confident hope. Yeah. Um, um, so what what are what are some things you're learning at at this stage of grief and suffering? Yeah. Um... Well, this stage, I mean, I'm about, I'm two, over two and a half years since losing Greg. And so grief continues on. It looks different than it did in earlier seasons. Um, I think that for the first time in almost 20 years, like I'm not in the midst of a really, really deep, hard struggle, which I was for a really long time. Yeah. And yet I'm constantly being reminded that this life is still, even when my circumstances are not, don't have me in the pit of despair, like this life is still not ever going to fulfill me. I think that's the biggest thing that um, God has been teaching me. And just like I am called ultimately to faithfulness and not prosperity. You know, I'm called to enter mm. into hard places that he opens the door to instead of um, 
you know, it's easy having gone through so much suffering, I think, to want to just avoid suffering at all costs and avoid any sort of risk or hardship or kind of self-protect and like beg God to never let anything bad happen again and and trying to walk in the world hand in hand with God when I know that life is so frail and loss is so sudden and it comes so quickly. And so one of the things I feel like God's been really teaching me is to live like Greg did, even though I'm healthy, like I don't have any of the issues that Greg did, but he lived with this real sense that life could end at any time. And it and it focused yeah. him on yeah. the gospel and investing in relationships and eternity in a way that I think was really unique because he knew like we didn't his death was really sudden. We didn't expect it, but he knew he was not gonna grow to be old because of a heart transplant. And so it's so easy to not live like that, but I want to live with that. Um, I want to hold on to what I learned from him in that, even if I'm not mm. myself dealing with the terminal illness, like I want to live knowing that this is, this is brief and I should be investing in eternal things instead of just, you know, how can I avoid suffering and get comfortable? Um, yeah. So yeah, that's one of the things. Yeah. Um, We've talked about this. Um, I've talked about this with other friends who who knew Greg really well. Uh, yes, such a strong, strong emphasis on things that are eternal, and yet a, a real enjoyment of the things of this life too. Um, uh, Greg loved music. He loved um, he loved finding out and learning things. Um, we did this one event on campus where we, we asked everybody to come. There was a, about a dozen of us who, who met on a regular basis. And we, we asked people, bring an object of art that is particularly meaningful to you uh, and tell us about it. And everybody came with a book, uh, a picture on their phone. Some people came with nothing and just talked about their favorite movie. Greg came with this huge framed picture of the sky, of the, so oh, not yeah. the solar system, the, the, yeah. the galaxies. Yes. And, yep. and just and gushed about the stars and the Hubble telescope. And oh, yeah. he just loved learning things. And um, so it's not this, well, we are only concerned about eternity. No, this, this life is a filled with joys and pointers to eternity. Yeah. And again, that's a theme of C.S. Lewis that we came, kept coming back to all the time. And Greg and I would talk about it. Um, um, we also had a spirited argument one time, Greg and I, because I dared to eat a cucumber salad at the salad <laughs> bar that when we were having lunch. And he just thought it was disgusting. How could you eat those things? They're so disgusting. And just, just calm down, buddy. You know, um, uh, I miss that so much. Mm -hmm. Well, you've you've said a number of times in your writings and in conversations that that one of the things you want people to grasp is um, it's not the quality of our faith; it's the object of our faith. Mm -hmm. um, speak to that a little bit. Tell us what what you mean by that. Yeah. Um, before anything happened with Greg's heart and health and anything like that, I was 
very, uh, very confident in my ability to be a good Christian. <laughs> you know, I was really faithful in my quiet times. I was a missionary, you know, for Pete's sake. I had yeah. studied theology. I have bookshelves full of the right resources. Like I really felt yeah. like You know, I I knew the truth of the scripture that like, of course, God drew me to himself and all that stuff. But I really felt like I had a big role to play in my my faith. Um, Like I was doing an awesome job and other people who are maybe struggling, maybe they just needed to like get their act together and read their Bible a bit more and like stop being such, you know, so bad at being Christians. Um, I think that (laughs) they're just be honest. I, and, I, and unfortunately, I, I'm afraid. I, I'm afraid I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and I, honestly, I can remember like giving a seminar and, and just being very legalistic with students and telling them like how to be better at like reading their Bible and spending time with God and almost like a program. Um, but suffering, it really stripped me and Greg, I would say, down to a point of realizing there was nothing in me that was holding on to God. It was easy to walk with God when I wasn't depressed and I wasn't anxious and I wasn't in the hospital, you know, watching my husband who was 24 at the time dying and life was going the way that expected it to go. But it was a whole lot harder to walk with God when I was watching all of our dreams fall apart and my husband dying and him not being able to breathe or rush into the emergency mm-hmm. room because his heart rate was out of control. And it just all these things that I thought I was contributing all of a sudden, like I couldn't worship God. I would go to services and I would be so angry listening to the lyrics of worship songs and just thinking like, this is lies. Like this is, maybe it's true for somebody else, but but this isn't true. God's not good to mm. me. Like, or if this is true mm. and God, you're in control or whatever, like I'm so angry at the implications of this. And I really, really, at, while being a missionary, like honestly, I really ran hard from God and got to a point where it was just, it's like opening the scriptures just kind of felt like it burned um, because my heart was so tender and my my conception of who God was was very much um, maybe in the influenced by this idea that if we are really good for God and we surrender things and, you know, maybe like next level tier, become a missionary or pastor or something, you know, give up a lot of stuff, then kind of in return, like I wouldn't have said it, but sort of in return, he's at least going to prosper our ministry or keep our faith strong or whatever it was. And, um, I learned through that, like that I was not holding on to God. It wasn't how tightly I was grasping onto God or how like firm my faith was. Cause it was basically obliterated. Like God was holding on to me. That's the only re honestly, like the only reason that I was able to walk with God through the suffering over all those years just because he never let go of me. I let go of God plenty of times. Like I really did. Mm. Um, ran mm. from God and all those things that I thought I had to do to be a good Christian. Like I learned that, I mean, those are good. I'm not saying that reading your Bible is bad, but like his love for me didn't change when I stopped reading my Bible. You know, he, 
kept after me. And I watched that happen in Greg's life too. You know, Greg really went through very dark and questioning times with the Lord. And I watched, and it was scary to watch in his life than in mine. Like I watched God sustain his faith to the end, even in those moments where he was just, he felt like he was hanging on by a thread. Um, Yeah. I remember him saying those those very words. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that um, that that's what I learned. And that's what I rely on still to this day. My faith has changed. My relationship with God has changed. It's so much less about my feeling close to God. Like it used to be very much like rooted in feelings, but now it's just that like assurance that he is never going to let me go. Like there is no, that is secure. That is the one thing that I know is secure that like he has got me and life can pretty much obliterate you a lot of times. And if it wasn't for his, his grip, like him being the one that, you know, my faith is in him. That's, that's what keeps it. It's not, um, that my faith is strong. It's that faith of a mustard seed. I think realizing how small that mustard seed faith is, is a pretty humbling Uh, experience. Well, I've heard you say, and I remember Greg saying that, um, uh, Jesus is the hero of our story. It's not us. Mm-hmm. And I know mm-hmm. you've said, you know, people have said to you, oh, you guys, you, the, the two of you, or now just you, you, your faith is so great. Your faith is so strong. And uh, sometimes you do correct them. And certainly in your writing, you correct people. No, no, it's not, it's not that our faith is so strong. It's that Jesus is holding on to us. And again, yeah. it's that, and I really hope this isn't a cliche, but it's it's memorable and helpful. It's not the quality of our faith. It's the object of our faith. It's the one in whom we are placing our faith. So right. quite a few people, I've heard Don Carson teach this. I've heard Tim Keller teach this. I've heard other people say, when the nation of Israel was crossing through the Red Sea, God had parted the Red Sea. They're walking through the Red Sea. There probably were some people who had a confident level of faith in God as they were walking through. They were probably already starting the singing. We, we know that they sang when they, when they got on the other side, but some people already had the tambourines going and the, isn't God great? Look at this, we're going through. And there were other people who were going, I don't think this is gonna work, we're gonna die. I, I don't know, I just don't. Who made it through? Both of them both groups, because it wasn't the quality of their trusting in God. It was the the strength, the power, the one in whom they were trusting. And that's, that's not a minor thing. That is absolutely transformative. Um, uh, And, and again, I I do remember having these conversations with Greg. Um, you mentioned a little bit ago, um, he, he went through some pretty dark times of doubt and, and you saw it more closely than anybody, but I got to see some of it and thanks be to God. That's not where he ended up at the end. There was a a confident trust and a hope that there was tremendous sadness in there too, but it was that he didn't land in the despair and the darkness where he had gone. He he said on a number of times, he had to go that far down. He just had to, how did he say it? He said, I I, I had to take all, all of my doubts to down to the basement. 
Yeah, yeah, down, down to the, to basement. the basement. I had to go down to the very, very bottom and find that Jesus was there ahead of me, that there was yes. nothing I could say or do or, or you know, yell or scream where Jesus wasn't meeting the, me there and holding on to me. And that, um, that, that, that's the heart, I believe, of your writing ministry. And that's what I want people to, to check out your blog and, and, and see other writings because um, that, that, it's liberating. In an odd way, it's liberating, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, it is. I, you know, God, Greg would always say like, God can handle our temper tantrums. He can handle our anger. He can handle, he can handle everything that other people can't handle. Um, and yeah, yeah, he would always often say like, um, when he went to the darkest, deepest pits of his soul, he always found Jesus was there waiting for him already. You know, he thought he yeah. could go to a place yeah. that was so dark that God would just be offended or, or like, ugh, you know, I'm not. And I, and I think people can react that way when we're really transparent with them about how really, how dark things can be inside. But Greg, he found God to, to be faithful um, yeah. through all that. I, you know, and it's interesting you're talking about at the end, like, I can remember even in the weeks before he died, he was, he was really like, his health was really, really bad. It was really scary, but we were not anticipating him dying. And I remember some nights when he was in bed and like really struggling to breathe and he would be wrestling with like, what, like just thinking like, I can't breathe, like, you know, something's going to happen. And what if, like, what if I'm not really a Christian? Like he would he would struggle with that. And, but in that he would just cry out to Jesus. And I remember telling him like, you would, like you would not be crying out to Jesus in this despair. Like if that's all that is, if like all that's left of your faith is just like, Jesus, like help me. Like, that's what it is. That's all it takes. You know, the, yeah. I love the thief yeah. on the cross. We talk about him all the time because, um, you know, here's a man who's dying, who's suffocating, who can't do anything but recognize that Jesus is the savior and that's all it takes. And I, and I feel like when you are what I would, I'm not that I've experienced it, but watching Greg, even the last day of his life, it's just that faith that was shaky. It was always shaky. He wasn't even at the end, you know, he was, he needed that reassurance, but it was always pointed at Jesus. And I think watching God sustained Greg's faith through chasing those doubts. And it wasn't that his faith stayed because he didn't think about hard questions. It was like the opposite, you know, like he met, God met him in his doubt. God met him in his wanderings, in his questions, in his anger. Um, And I'm, yeah, I'm so grateful to have witnessed that and seen God really be true to his word, like to, to sustain him till the end. Yeah. You know, um, God gave Greg an absolutely brilliant mind and, mm-hmm. um, and not everybody has to wrestle intellectually as much as he did. So there are some right. people who, okay, I, they, they don't have to take it all the way down to the basement or they don't have to ask every single follow-up question, but some people do. And unfortunately, I, I do think that there are a lot of Christians who tell 
those people who ask all those questions, hey, you think too much or you're asking too many questions. No, no, no. If God gave us the brains to ask those questions, then he has given some people those abilities to just keep chasing and keep chasing and keep digging. And um, uh, so I, I think that's an important lesson. We need to, we need to, real- there's some people, no, no, you, you probably need to read that 900 page book about the resurrection. Right. Not everybody needs to, but, but some people mm-hmm. do. Um, and I, I loved watching the keen mind. It caused him some, some difficulties for sure. Um, yeah. But then what came through was was really a, a deep, deep uh, intellectual grasp of things. Um, there, There is also the theme of um, not always looking to other people uh, to help you in the darkest moments. Um, you've had a couple of close friends, and Greg did, but there were a whole lot of people who said and still say some silly things. Mm-hmm. Um, quite a few people have observed what, why do those three friends in the book of Job get so much airtime? Bill, dad, Eliphaz and Zophar, they say really, really bad things. And, and at the end, God shows up and says, no, you guys were wrong, but they, right. they get a lot of ink in the book. And uh, again, I remember talking with Greg, I said, I think that that's there in God's word to prepare us for the fact that ultimately people are not going to be the source of our strength and our hope. Um, Mm -hmm. Ultimately it can only come from God and connecting to Jesus. Um, I remember Mm -hmm. telling Greg one time, I said, if you ever write a book on suffering, you should just have a chapter with quotes of all these foolish things people (laughs) have said to you. And you could just, you could just title the the chapter from the consulting firm of Bill, dad, Eliphaz and Zophar. Um, Didn't didn't someone say when when it was determined that Greg needed a heart transplant and you told so many people and you sent out letters, you got tons of letters and cards that were really beautiful and great. But Greg told me someone wrote and said, you need a heart transplant. I know what you're going through. I needed a cornea transplant. Yes. Yeah. Oh, no. Not helpful. Um, Not helpful. (laughs) Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but, but again, there's a freedom of, okay, people are not my ultimate source of hope and strength and trust. Um, God yeah. uses some people to say some good things to us. Great. Okay. But even the best of them, they're not always there. They, they, they're, they're not always going to pick up the phone or respond to a text. Or So yeah. uh, I think that's a lesson. What other lessons you would really want Christians to learn about? suffering and grief. Yeah. I mean, I, I think one of them is, um, if, if it's somebody else, like we were just talking about, you know, how, how do we respond when other people are going through suffering and grief? Um, and I'm having walked through it myself, both long-term suffering and grief. I, I don't feel like I'm an expert and I still struggle and I'm not always sure what to say, but I think what I have found to be the least helpful is when people try to answer for God or they feel like they have to defend God. Um, I call it like crappy hope. Uh, Hopefully I can use that word on your podcast. I'm not sure, but I, 
when you and we give people who are in suffering or facing death like it's all going to be okay or like let's just you know if you just pray and God's going to heal you I know it like sometimes people promise things that God's word just doesn't promise and it only makes uh, it harder uh, it only uh-huh. makes it harder yeah. to face reality mm-hmm. Greg would often share statistics when you get a heart transplant there's a lot of statistics involved you know this percentage of people die in this time frame, and then this percent die in this. It's all these statistics, and he would share them, and people would rebuke him as if the statistics, as if leaning and looking at statistics were a lack of faith. And he would say, But God's sovereign over the statistics too. And I have to deal with the fact that He's probably going to work in my life like He's worked in all these other lives. You know, we try to distract people um, from their pain as if that's what's going to help them. And really what's helpful is witnessing their pain and just saying like, this is horrible and I hate this for you. And I'm so like angry that you're going through this too. And I, and I don't know why God's doing it. And I know he's good and know he loves you, but I, but I'm struggling with it. Like, I think those are the most healing words that somebody can hear is like, I, I hate this. This hurts this, I'm here. Um, I think the the three friends of Job, they did best when they just sat with him in silence and in, in mourning <laughs> instead of opening yeah. their mouths. That's right. um, yeah. They, they did great so, before they started talking. Yeah. Yeah. And people um, just need that. Go ahead. You're going you to say um, something? Or? Well, I'm yeah, well, well, we we are told early on that they came and sat in silence, and that yeah. was helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are times to be quiet and 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 to hug and to cry alongside. Um, and and you're right; the scriptures are so so good, and so much better than what how people have distorted them. Jesus hated death. At the tomb of right. Lazarus, he cried, and it was it was it was a, a, a visceral uh, grieving of the horror of death. And the lament psalms are so graphic and so honest, and um, uh, and 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 Paul talked about how we're we're afflicted but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing. Um, mm-hmm. I, 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 th- I think we need more perplexity right. uh, to allow for, okay, there's some things we know. There's a whole lot we don't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If death, death is that bad. I, th- I think that's um, another thing. Like I wish that, I think as a church, we just need to say like death, death is the last enemy that's going to be destroyed. Jesus calls death our enemy and he came to defeat death, but it's not defeated all the way yet. And so we don't have to pretend that death is good. I think we do that a lot. You know, oh, we want to, we want to skip over the hard part. We want to have celebrations of life instead of funerals. And I think there's an appropriate Mm -hmm. response. Like if, if the reality of death and, and the, and all the things that lead to death in this world was enough for God to leave his throne and come and suffer alongside of us and walk through death so that one day we can be liberated, then we don't, we don't have to pretend that the day that we 
I mean, obviously for a believer, there's hope there. We're going to be ushered into God's presence, but man, it is a ripping apart of what God designed this life to be. Like we were not created to die. We were created with eternity on our hearts and we're still created with eternity on our hearts. And this severing of relationship, um, the severing of our spirits and our bodies that happen at death, like it is not... It is a part of life in a broken world, but it is the ultimate brokenness in this world. And so lamenting that and calling calling it bad and then saying, but we have hope because Christ overcame it and we won't, you know, there is life on the other side of death. But for those who have left, been left yeah. behind or are thinking about the fact that they're going to leave their the people behind because they're dying, it is not, we don't need to make them be happy about it. It's okay. You know, it's okay yeah. to be... Yeah. Sad. Yeah. Mm. Well, you you think through these issues really well, unfortunately, because you have to, um, but you also yeah. write about them really well. And I'm really grateful for your writing. Um, uh, let me let me say a little uh, commercial about writing um, about C.S. Lewis, because this is a C.S. Lewis podcast. <laughs> you know, Lewis is probably his first apologetic book that really kind of made it was The Problem of Pain. And that's what kind of put him on the map. That's how the BBC sort of said, oh, he'd be the guy for us to do this radio series that eventually became Mere Christianity. Um, but but um, The Problem of Pain is a pretty logical, intellectual, rigorous examination of how should we think about pain and suffering. Um, then much, much later in his life, after his wife died, um, he wrote what became the book, um, uh, A Grief Observed. But he, he didn't write that book as a book. He wrote it to process his own grief. This was private journals. He wasn't planning on getting this published. He, he just needed to write to process. And he found these four folios in his house. He said, that's, I'm going to fill those. And that's just for me. And then people found out about them and they said, Jack, you really need to get this stuff published. No, 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 that's not why I wrote it. Well, they eventually convinced him to publish it and he published it under a different name. And um, we, we hear later that um, uh, people started finding these books and gave copies to C.S. Lewis and <laughs> said, Jack, you ought to read it. It'd be really helpful for you. Um, I'm pretty sure that's a true story. Uh, I, I think Lyle Dorset accounts for it in one of his books. But but so then some people say, ah, see, this is the real, true, honest grief. That problem of pain stuff, that was just sterile. No, no. Both sides of that are absolutely necessary. The very, very rigorous intellectual arguments. And again, that's what Greg dug into because he had to. But then mm-hmm. the very, very honest processing of emotion. And the the beauty of the Bible is it doesn't pit those things against each other. It's very, very logical and rigorous and, again, intellectual and also deeply emotional. I'm repeating myself. I'm really sorry. People who listen to this podcast, he does repeat himself quite a bit. Um, uh, I'll try to see if I can work on that. Um, uh, Elise, any, any final thoughts as we bring this to a close? Any other thoughts of what what do you really hope people uh, can grasp about this really, really important but painful topic? Hmm. 
I mean, ultimately, I think I hope that people can grasp or will we'll see if they read my writing or anything like that, that um, God is strong in our weakness. When Paul asks, you know, begs the Lord to take away the thorn in his side three times. And the response is, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Um, we named our son because of that verse. We gave him the name Paul. That was our life verse together as a family of, we want suffering to go away. But so often God says, nope, but my power will be made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. And so I hope that people see that no matter the depths of pain, whether it's physical, mental, spiritual, whatever the depths of the sorrows in their lives, like his grace really is sufficient. His power. Elise, thank you again for digging into this topic again with us on this podcast. Um, we'll put uh, links in the show notes of some of your writings. Um, and we invite uh, our listeners, check out the uh, video that we did of uh, Bill and Will Kinds talking about the book of Job. A uh, number of other resources on our website dealing with death and grief and suffering. Um, uh, our ministry doesn't shy away from this topic because it is such a crucial, important topic. And God doesn't shy away from the topic in His Word. And so um, we hope that all of our resources at the cslewisinstitute.org website are helpful for you as you uh, seek the Lord. Um, to love him with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind.